0: go to uh, 2 Kings 4 if I could read uh, from verse 8 to verse 17 that's sort of you missed yesterday afternoon then uh, you can sort of catch up a little on the narrative it says in verse 8 of uh, 2 Kings 4 it says and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where was a great woman And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set up for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither." And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, "Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? What is thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, "Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old." And he said, to, "And he said, call her." And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, "About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son." And she said, "Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid." And the woman conceived, and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Father, help us in these moments to consider God's word and to take, Lord, even one or two truths uh, that might fit in with all that we've heard already and what we'll hear tonight. Lord, you're a great God. You can do those things and encourage us in the great truths of your sufficiency for our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned yesterday that this uh, incident in the life of the prophet Elisha uh, takes place in the last quarter uh, of the Old Testament in the days of the prophets to the northern kingdom. Uh, Over 100 years after that, the northern kingdom is taken away by the Assyrians and never returns. Uh, Yesterday we saw four things about this woman of Shunem. She enjoyed great wealth, she had rare perception, she had wise generosity, and she was a woman of great contentment. her 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 answer to the servant is, I dwell among my own people. She is content with her lot in life. Gehazi has to raise the fact to uh, Elisha that she has no child. And things aren't looking very good for her because her husband is, 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 uh, is old and, and from what she could tell, she, he was not going to uh, give her the child. We saw that in Old Testament culture, having a, a child was a virtual proof of the divine blessing. And there was a reproach that she carried. But she didn't complain about that. And I think this really magnified her earlier virtues. Uh, she didn't live in self-pity but in active service. Uh, she was devoted to the needs of others despite her own lack. All of us uh, serve God with, with something of a broken heart. There are things that we do carry that, that, that can be burdensome to us, and, and yet uh, this is the grace of God in our lives, that, that we, can, we, we can serve him when things are just not quite how we would want them or uh, expect them to be. She lived to serve God and others. God was the great constant of her life. They were her true riches, by the way. They were her true riches. It wasn't the, uh, the wealth that her and her husband enjoyed. God himself was her true riches. Uh, we saw that when Christ is everything, everything else has its proper priority and place. There were four points yesterday, and I've run out of points. Uh, we're going to work through this passage and just see some things from the Word of God Uh, You will uh, notice there in verse 16 that Elisha promises her a son. And and, and notice her response. Notice her response. She says, Nay, my lord, no, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. This is such a Jewish conversation. Elisha, you're a man of God. Stop lying. (laughs) I'm convinced you're holy. I'm convinced you're God's man, but do not lie to me. I'm not stupid. This is a good Jewish woman answering a prophet. And it really proves to me that the Bible is God's word. This is not the product of human authorship alone. Uh, If a man, even a well-meaning man, had written this text, it would have read, well, thank you, Elisha. Thank you. Praise God. I'm going to go home and ask my husband to build another room, another wing, and uh, the prophet's chamber can be on that side of the house and uh, the baby room can be on that side of the house. And so when the baby cries when you visit, you can sleep. That's what we'd write if we'd written the Bible. But no, she is not convinced. It, it seems to me that uh, she had uh, you know, just accepted the fact that motherhood was not going to be for her. Uh, she wasn't just sort of longing for this pipe dream. This was something that she had dealt with earlier in her life and uh, she was content with what God had given her and so uh, uh, this wasn't even in her thinking anymore. Uh, But but what you have here in this story is a miracle occurring over the protest of the person getting the benefit of the miracle. Think about that. She's going to have this child and she virtually protests the miracle. How would modern faith healers handle that? How could they come to grips with that? Uh, They will will blame their audiences for not having enough faith. They'll blame them. Uh, You've got to come to our meeting, and you've got to sit through an hour or two of endless choruses, Uh, which will give you hearing problems if you didn't have any when you came in, so you need to be healed of bad hearing. No, they don't go to the hospitals where people really need help and do miracles as Christ did and as others did. This happened over the protest of the one getting the benefit of the miracle. And this birth that the woman enjoys, it says... In verse 17, it says that she bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. Nine months or so later, nine months or so later, they had a child. This birth rivaled the birth of Isaac to Sarah. It rivaled the birth of Samson to his mother. We don't know her first name. Uh, This rivaled the birth of Samuel to Hannah. It rivaled the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth. Now, it wasn't like the virgin birth of Christ. This was a human conception, though divinely assisted. That's the difference. In other words, without divine intervention. I might say without special divine intervention, this little human would not have arrived. I say that because... In Ruth 4.13, concerning Ruth's child, it says, the Lord gave her conception. Do you realize that human conception is as much about theology as it is about biology? It's as much about what God is doing as it is about biology. Every life, in a sense, is a miracle of God. In this case, it was, I guess, what we call a special miracle of God, divinely assisted as they had passed the age of parenting. And I want to tell you that every detail of our life is under God's sovereign hand. Psalm 139, David says, Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. God's own son occupied a womb. And so the child comes and uh, what rejoicing there must have been in that house you think of the years the decades that had passed what a quiet home it must have been and all that was shattered (laughs) when the baby comes and stays Uh, look at verse number 18 look at verse number 18 it says and when the child was grown years had passed we don't know how many don't know how many. When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. Uh, some feel that it may have been sunstroke. He fell over and, 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 and had a wound to his head. And he said to a lad, that is to one of his servants, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Uh, We don't know how old the child was, but he was small enough to be carried by a servant and he's small enough to be held by his mother on her knees. He was a little child, maybe just school age, maybe just school age. Cannot life at times be unimaginably cruel? I mean unimaginably cruel. Uh, Alexander McLaren said that this child was late won and early lost. came late and he's taken very, very quickly. Life really is is, is like that. You know, even, even the unsaved understand that understand that. A, a few months ago um, the celebrated boxer Muhammad Ali went into eternity. Uh, one Christian leader said that he finally met the greatest. He finally met the greatest. And uh, there are a number of documentaries that came out on his life because he, he, he certainly influenced many for a whole bunch of reasons. And uh, th- there was one documentary that that featured the men whom Ali fought. And uh, how what happened to them after their boxing careers had, had ended. And there were, there were like a dozen of these guys, and this is a documentary it went for an hour or two. And uh, you know, some of these men very articulate, very articulate. Because they got out of boxing early enough. They retired young and uh, articulate. Some some could barely speak. Some could barely speak. Some of them said literally, I either boxed or I went and became a gang member. I went to jail. There was one fellow, one fellow who, who was actually in jail. He claimed to have a dream, that he was going to be the world heavyweight champion. He started training and he did beat Ali. He became the champ for a little while. Fascinating, fascinating. But, but there was one boxer who was featured. He was a Canadian, Canadian boxer. His surname was Shavalo, George Shavalo. And Shivala was, uh, his parents were were immigrants to Canada from Eastern Europe, and Shavala talked about his family life. He said that his father was an incredibly hard worker, just worked in a factory somewhere in Canada, and his, his father was paranoid about losing his job, and so he rarely took holidays. His boss had to force him to take holidays, and even when his dad took holidays, he would go and sort of look over the road to see what was happening at the factory, and apparently his dad worked so hard that when he took holidays, the boss had to find two men to cover for him. His dad worked so hard. And so shavala came from a very uh, hard working, working class family. And uh, Shivala was one of Canada's greatest boxers. And Shivala, like other men, had a family and had a number of children. And, uh, and it was said that, that, that shavala's first three sons, that, that they all died either to suicide or drug abuse. He lost three. In between his sons either overdosing or taking their life, his wife took her life overcome with the grief of losing sons. Life is unbearably cruel. And, and to endure that without Christ, I don't know how, I don't know how he got up out of bed after that. I don't know how he, how he did. I got three sons. Uh, to go through the burdens of life without God, without the one who can lift the curse. From us but life is unbearably cruel under the curse this woman who loved God who served God she was not immune to that she was not immune to that we do people a disservice if we say well if you just live for the Lord that you're going to have a trouble-free existence that's simply not so there is God's grace in the trials but have a look at The response of the father in verse 19 he says to the servant take him to his mother take him to his mother you know right through the chapter he's the he is the backseat husband in verse 9 she suggests the renovation she suggests the renovation in verse 19 he sends his son via the servant later on in the chapter he he has no clue this guy has no clue now gentlemen we're supposed to lead our families I know we're we're to provide food clothing but that's not the same as helping them spiritually that's not the same as helping them spiritually the great shame of churches today is there are so many disappointed women so many disappointed women, it, you know, if only their husbands would lead a bit more, if only they chose some initiative at home and in the church, may, may the Lord put a bomb under us, may we have have a real awareness of the leaders that we need to be, but have a look at verse number twenty one verse number twenty one the child is dead at this point he's dead it says when she had taken sorry in verse 21 and when she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out she lays the child upon the bed of the man of God the term man of God appears nine times In this chapter God's telling us something here God is telling us something what a cruel end Uh, someone said that life is like licking honey from off a thorn (laughs) licking honey from off a thorn this woman is like Abraham who waits a long time for a son then God makes a call on that son you ever had something that you wait, were waiting a long time for and maybe you get it or you appear to get it and then God takes it away? God does that. I remember being in the middle of Bible college and I'd had a part-time job for a few years and, uh, you know, you're trying to get a job that, that fits in with the college routine. It's not always very easy, but I had this job for a few years and I'm in Sydney at the moment, at the time, Bankstown, and um, things were not working out for a bunch of reasons, so I was praying about getting another job and, and, and lo and behold, something came up at Hurstville, which is really not too far away. If you, you know, leave at 4 a.m. in the morning, you can get to work on time. Um, so I went for the interview, had the experience, got on with the boss, and I was going to get this new job, and I, I was convinced. And I'm not often convinced about those things, but I just felt God's meeting a need. Here it is. And unfortunately, someone else went for the job who lived around the corner, out. And it just didn't make sense because it's like I had this thing in the bag. It's like God, God had sent it into my lap and then it was gone. <laughs> that happens. Well, it was a few months later that the Lord provided, but, but the truth is that all of us have these times when you know God seems to answer a prayer or something and then it's just gone again. It's just gone again. It's it's the enigma that Ecclesiastes talks about. The enigma of life under the son, nothing is that sure in this world. And so she lays her son on Elisha's bed. She, she lays him on the bed of the man of God. Why does she do that? I believe she had hope. I believe she had hope. Uh, she knew God was up to something. She knew God was up to something. She puts him on the bed of the man of God. This is the guy who said she'd have one in the first place. So if there's anyone who can, who can do something... It is him, the man of God. She has hope. As we, all, as we all do as Christians, we have hope. We're not sure what God's up to, but there, there is hope that God is up to something good in our lives. Now let the story continue here. It says in verse 22, And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I, that I may run to the man of God. And come again. Okay, the child's where he needs to be on the bed of the man of God. And she now has to go get the man of God. Now notice the husband here in verse 23. Notice him. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. He's the classic Sabbath believer. He's a Sabbath believer. Like Elijah, It's, it's not a feast time. It's not the Sabbath. This is, for us, we'd say it's not Sunday. not Sunday. That's how he saw his relationship with God. But she says it's well. It's well. He will take care of this situation. And then it says she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee, put your foot on the wheel. (laughs) Hurry up. This is the one that constrains elisha to stay she is not to be trifled with this woman and look at verse 25 look at verse 25 it says and so she went and came unto the man of god to mount carmel and came to pass when the man of god saw her afar off that he said to gehazi his servant behold yonder is that shunammite run now i pray thee to meet her and say unto her is it well with thee is it well with thy husband is it well with the child And she answered, it is well. How does she say that? How does she say it's well? The child is dead. Well, either she believes Elisha would do a miracle or she wants to tell him personally. How does she say earlier on, I dwell among mine own people for the same reason why she can say it's well? (laughs) Like the hymn, right? It is well with my soul. And you know the history of that hymn. Takes faith to believe that God is good in those circumstances. And if you look at verse 27, and when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. She just dives at his feet. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the man, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me reminds me of the disciples that tried to stop the little ones coming to Christ he had to rebuke them they just had no idea what the Lord is up to Gehazi tries to push her away Gehazi's heart and he is exposed later in the scriptures his heart is revealed in the crisis Elisha understood her grief why because he was the man of God a true man of God understands human grief. A true man of God shows empathy. Empathy. If you're going to be a man of God and preach his word, you need to have a heart for people. And that's difficult because i got the same heart as they do. <laughs> My heart's just as bad as theirs, so I'm trying to minister to. In 2 uh, Timothy 2, it says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, Patient, in meekness, in gentleness, instructing those that oppose themselves. We meet some very conflicted people today. I mean, they, they are busy having a war with themselves, <laughs> and you, you kind of get in the way of their of their of their fight. Gentleness, gentleness. At times, we have the gentleness of uh, of a sledgehammer, do we not? We have the gentleness of a sledgehammer. But we need to have true and real gentleness. We need to ask God to give us a heart for people. And that's, that's, that's a difficult thing because it's nice when you get to preach to people. Because, you know, they don't tend to say anything. You get down from the pulpit, you share truth and, and then they, they, they get to reply to you. <laughs> and sometimes the answers aren't very pleasant or not very biblical and that takes time to work with people and to help them see what the word of god is saying to them and uh, what a blessing it, it is to to see young men mm-hmm. who they can preach god's word and they can teach god's word and, and and but there's something not there it's it's often the the empathy and the sympathy of people that god gives i don't know exactly how how, uh, how it comes but there is a heart for people's welfare their spiritual welfare and the Welfare in their families. Elisha, the man of God, has empathy. He has humility too, because look at what he says in verse 27. He says, The Lord hath hid it from me. So no. Men of God have humility. Men of God do not know everything. There ought to be a Bible college course that runs for about 50 years. So we can learn it at all. <laughs> we just sort of get the basic tools and then we start learning what we've learned. Elijah's humble, he doesn't pretend to have all the answers. It's not wrong to say, I don't know. I love the story my father-in-law tells, who, you know, Dr. George Matsko does a lot of Bible science. Does a lot of Bible science. And uh, he often has Q&As and uh, dad reads a lot. He reads a lot so he can keep up with, with questions and things. And he was in a church in America and he uh, there was one fellow there who uh, had a, I think had a bit of a reputation for you know asking some really curly sort of questions. And uh, he asked Dad, he said, Dr. Matsko, well, what do all of the uh, stones, what do all the jewels and stones, what do they really mean in the book of Revelation? And uh, my father-in-law said, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. And he said the pastor almost sort of fell over laughing at uh, his response which no one expected. I don't know. I don't know. And uh, we don't have to know everything, by the way. We don't have to know everything all the time. We just need to point people to the Lord and say, you know what, I'm going to pray and let's try and find the answer. Let's try and find the answer. Do that rather than saying more than you really know is true. So God had hid it from Elisha. Look at verse 28. Then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say do not deceive me? Her question's really have no answer they really have no answer they're familiar questions we all ask we we, all of us ask these kinds of questions because we're trying to find a cause you know humans we're funny creatures always trying to figure out the why always trying to figure out the why of things was it me was it my spouse was it my kids was it someone else how did this bad thing happen. How did it happen? Why? And uh, for some reason we, 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 we like to sort of look at other causes other than ourselves oftentimes. You know, we all all those sermons I heard the last six months, you know, none of it had to do with what I'm going through now. Or you know, I, I you know I went to so and so a year or two ago and if, if only he had told me this and I remember talking to a guy uh, a couple of years ago who had made a, a, a train wreck of his life, had made a train wreck of his marriage. And he was trying to tell me that the, the, the reason why his life was such a wreck was because, you know, many years ago, God was calling him into the mission field and instead of obeying God, he, he just did his own thing. Trying to, trying to blame, you know, that, that one decision many years ago for the million things that happened to the mission field 20 years ago was because for the last 20 years he hadn't been living for the Lord. And so we try and find exotic reasons as to why various things have happened. we become very, very superstitious. But she's right. She was right. Elijah, Elisha, I didn't ask for this child. This was your idea. <laughs> and it was. I didn't ask for this. I was perfectly content. And you changed things. And then I lost the child. She wants to live in hindsight. In hindsight. And hindsight never gives us any insight for the present. In hindsight, we try and play God, we try and be omnipotent in the past tense, or omniscient. Hindsight always makes the present unbearable. Makes it unbearable. How often do we regret things? Why did I do all of these things? And we try and explain away the present. Well, let's go back to verse 29. By the way, Elisha doesn't answer. You know, that he says nothing says nothing when someone's grieving and hurting and they have these questions you know you just gotta just give them a hug go make them a cup of tea help them don't speak theology don't try and give them pat pet answers that don't really answer well he says to Gehazi in verse 29 gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way if thou meet any man salute him not if any salute thee answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child he says avoid extended greetings in those days it wasn't just a handshake and you're off it was stay for lunch stay overnight stay a day or two Uh, this this was urgent business they had to get to the dead child and it says in verse 30 and the mother of the child said as the lord liveth and as thy soul liveth i will not leave thee this is elisha she is not leaving him and he arose and followed her the woman wants elisha not Gehazi, because of her perception she perceived that elisha is the holy man of god she knew Gehazi had no sympathy for her he's just he's just he's just doing his job for the day he's just clocked on she wants the servant the man of god the one who cares for her she could pick a phony a mile away if you look at verse 31 Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child but there was neither voice nor hearing therefore he went out again to meet him and told him saying the child is not awake you see the power was not in the staff the power was not in the staff the staff wasn't magical the staff represented the ministry of Elisha as God empowered him and God wasn't blessing Gehazi's ministry blessing Elisha and have a look at verse 32 Elisha must come personally Elisha was come into the house behold the child was dead and laid upon his bed he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. You know, this wasn't even the power of Elisha. This was the power of prayer. It's the power of prayer. He shuts the door to avoid the spectacle. It's about the prayer, not the staff. Elisha doesn't act presumptuously, Elisha acts prayerfully. Prayerfully. Prayer does amazing things. Prayer changes things. Prayer can take some really complicated situations and can simplify many, many things. Prayer, at the very least, gives us the next step. Gives us the next step. Here's what God wants me to do for him today. That's all we need. And so he prays unto the Lord. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. And he went up and he lay upon the child. And notice this. And he put his mouth upon his mouth. And his eyes upon his eyes. And his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child. Body on body. Mouth upon mouth. Eye upon eye. Hand upon hand. What a strange thing. What a strange thing. He could have spoken the miracle. He could have raised the child. What's going on here? I'm sure there are many different ideas about what and why. Because not every miracle happened the same way in either the Old or New Testament. But you know, it seems to me that we have here, I believe, a blessed picture of the gospel itself. You have Elisha, as it were, identifying himself with this dead child. His body upon his body, his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands, he he is identifying with the death of this child. And listen, in Leviticus, uh, Elisha would have been rendered unclean for coming into contact with the dead body. Oh, there's a wonderful picture of the gospel here. Jesus Christ, the one who identified himself with us identified himself in his humanity when he came down to earth at his incarnation he identified with us when he was tempted like as we are yet without sin and he finally identified himself on the cross he became sin for us there's a wonderful picture of the gospel here and have a look at verse the end of verse 34 it says this it says the flesh Of the child waxed warm. The flesh of the child waxed warm. Death is cold but life is vital, it is warm, it's real. And the heart somehow starts beating again, the blood starts pumping and life returns and warmth comes back. There is resurrection, Look at verse 35. It says, Then he returned and walked into the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. Repeats the process. And notice this. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. He sneezes seven times. Did he sneeze for every day of creation? No. It's only six. Did he sneeze seven times because there were seven tribes? No, there were 12 tribes. Did he sneeze for every son of Jesse, every son of Job, every son of Seva? Oh, he's a baddie in the book of Acts. Um, no, I, I don't know why it was seven. Could have been six or eight. Perhaps seven, the number of completion. Maybe that's a safe uh, interpretation to settle on. But I would have thought, not not being an emergency surgeon, that if uh, a body sneezed seven times, life is there, right? Life is there. Uh, It may be that a dying body does some involuntary, weird things, but you sneeze seven times. My money is that we have a living being. The child really is alive. And you know, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we identify with him in life. We identify with him in his life, his resurrection life. Somehow, by an act of God, we died with him at the cross, and now we live with him. We enjoy his resurrection life. Romans 6 5 If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be planted in the likeness of his resurrection. Just a wonderful theological support for having, you know, water baptism. You go down, that's like the death dying, and you come up, that is the resurrection. I tell people in our church, I've never lost anyone yet. Never lost anyone. You can safely be baptized at our church, you'll, you'll certainly be cold and uh, we have a very narrow window of baptisms in Victoria um, but, but you're in good hands And so this child identifies now with Elisha in his life now this has a happy ending I guess look at verse 36 look at verse 36 and he called Gehazi and said call this shunamite so he called her and when she was come in unto him. He said. Take up thy son. Take up thy son. But I want you to have a look at verse 37 here. You should have a look at verse. Pay close attention. It says. Then she went in. And fell at his feet. Elisha's feet. And bowed herself to the ground. Then. She took up her son and went out. Now you need to notice that. What, what would any other mother have done? You knock Elisha over <laughs> and you pick up that boy and you hug him and you shed tears and then you hug him and you shed tears again and you know by this time he just wants to go out and play. But she bows to the man of God. She goes back And worships God. That's what she does. God was preeminent in her life. You know, Psalm 127 3 says, Children are an heritage of the Lord. God gives us our children. They belong to Him. We we He sort of lends them to us for a little while. They belong to Him. Her son was not an idol of her life. She lived for the Lord. She must have seen so many Jewish mothers just fuss and fuss and idolise their sons particularly and thought, oh, I'll never do that. I wonder had she thought as a young woman, and, and, and yes, this is sanctified imagination only, had she ever thought as a young woman, Lord, if, if you would give me a son, I'm not expecting one, but if you ever gave me a son, help me not to make him an idol and years later she finds out, she found out, she never met an idol. God used this unusual woman to show that he can give, he can take, and sometimes he gives back again, sometimes he does. What he takes with one hand, he can give back with another hand. Uh, Back in December 2001, uh, I was in the States at that time, uh, Newly engaged, just got engaged, just got engaged, and very, very happy, of course. And we had friends back in Sydney who were to be married at about that time. About that time, so I shot off my friend an email and how's the wedding and how are you going and how's the honeymoon and this sort of thing. And and uh, my friend who was getting married was a guy who loved the Lord, and he was engaged to a girl who loved the Lord. Uh, they were serious. I mean, it wasn't just they were Christians and they wanted to find someone else. They were Christians serving Christ. And, and this was a good match. This was a blessing. And I got an email back by my friend who, who told me that the wedding had in fact been cancelled. This was like a week or two leading up to the wedding it was cancelled. And I was stunned. Stunned. Because I just got engaged and I figured, well, you know, if that's what happened to them, what's going to happen to me? So <laughs> I was thinking. And the... Uh, the bride the bride to be took it very hard very very hard apparently for a week or two bedridden bedridden there there were things between the families that that were not resolved and uh, they couldn't go ahead with it and heartbroken devastated and I was thinking how could it happen to them how does that happen there there are some marriages that if if they, if they, if the wedding was canceled like whew, prayers were answered but this one this, this had no winners this had no winners and you know months after the wedding was cancelled uh, those two just couldn't get each other out of their mind they couldn't do it and they prayed and they had times of fasting I mean they, they were really really careful and it would have been a year or two later she did walk down that aisle and they did get married and all these years later, we have three sons, they have three daughters, and I try and keep in touch. <laughs> but, but the point is that God gave, he took away, and then in his providence, he gave back. And God does that sometimes, and God can do that, and it just reminds us that he is the constant. He's the constant. Friends come and go, families come and go, but God is the constant. We need to be reminded of that. Let me come back to the quote that I don't want you to forget. Um, Life is like licking honey from off a thorn. You know, for the believer, our Saviour took the very worst thorns for us. He took the thorns. And the thorns that he sends or allows are only so sharp. They're only so sharp. And they sting, but they never really disfigure. Somehow the thorns that he sends beautifies it glorifies changes transforms I don't know how he does it but he does it and somehow those thorns bring transformation into the image of his son amazing amazing but he does that in the simple act of bowing before taking her child she testifies again of God's sufficiency God's sufficiency hope we can say that of God he's our sufficiency all the time let's pray father we thank you for the story of this woman and what a blessing she is lord what confidence we have in the old testament that the people here are real and they had burdens like us they had their battles like us and they could still lift up their head and look to you help us to do that we pray this day in jesus name